Podcast broadcasting to you live from beautiful, amazing, picturesque Crystal Lake Studios in Putnam Valley, New York. My name is Keith Farrell. I am joined, as always, by my colleague and co-host, the number one jet fan in the state of Texas, Michael Lagaris. Everyone, yo, Jeff. I know you guys aren't happy. I'm not that happy. Either. Yeah, we can't. You know what? I start. I try to do the intro at the very beginning with enthusiasm because it's needed. You can't just come in, hey, everybody, it's ABG. You got to bring some heat, but I'm feeling it inside as well. Um, let's get to the final two partners here in the quartet. The number one tight end in the history of this universe, the big Wookiee, Nicholas Kronk. What's up, my man? What's, what's going on, guys? How's everybody doing tonight? Yeah, Wookiee, you quickly ascending from the greatest college tight end to the greatest tight end of all time to the greatest tight end in the universe. It only took one month. Yeah, it's it's, it's been moving pretty quickly. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I don't know how to exceed the universe. We'll come up with something, though, for you. And, of course, everybody, we have uh, my cousin, Sammy O'Hare, in the building, the number one high school coach in the nation. Sammy, what's up, man? What's going on, Jeff Hans? Yeah, coming off a uh, a tough loss this week, and I think only tough in the sense that, and I'm going to see what the boys think. None of us have talked about this game at all before we start doing the show. Tough in the sense that it did seem like, even though it was 24-9, to 9, the defense played pretty well. It seemed like in some parts of the game on defense, we're going to get into the good parts of the game, guys, and the bad parts of the game. Most of the good ones are on the defensive side of the ball. The Ravens only had 68 yards rushing, guys. That's, that's pretty impressive. Lamar Jackson limited to only 17 yards when it comes to the rushing game. They only had the three touch, they had three touchdown drives, which killed us, of course, because we can't, we couldn't do anything offensively. But they punted the ball nine times, guys. Uh, it was 10 to, seven, 10 to 3 in the first half, 14 to 6 in the second half. We had the garbage time touchdown. Joe Flacco looked as immobile as ever. Joe Flacco was always known as a statuesque quarterback, and we don't mean that he's statuesque in any way, shape, or form aesthetically. We mean his actual mobility is very limited. When he was 25 years old, now that he's 37 years old, me and Sammy were watching the game, and it was rough. I know he got sacked three times. He got hit 11 times. He got pressured 19 times. So you got to have some fault there for that offensive line, which also looked horrible. A lot to get in here, Mike. A lot to get into here, Mike. Some of the the choices that Salah chose to make here, with not being that aggressive. And after that, we're gonna just real quick talk about some of his comments to the media this week. But what were your overall takeaways from the game, Mike? Twenty four nine loss here to start the season. More of the same was essentially the narrative that I or what I felt right after the game. Very disappointed with what I saw off at, from the offensive line. I mean, I thought Max Mitchell was going to end up being the weakest link, and he really wasn't the weakest link. You know, Lincoln Tomlinson gave up eight pressures. And that offensive line, if you're going to essentially give up that much pressure to a quarterback, you got to have a quarterback that's mobile. And Joe Flacco, not only was he missing receivers, not only was he inaccurate, but he is the slowest-moving human on the face of the planet Earth. Um, it looked like his legs were stuck in quicksand and it's just disgusting. And it's year after year after year after year that 
I watch this team and the offense, and it just looks the same. And to be honest with you, Sala was out coached. He did not do a good job coaching. He did were no halftime adjustments. He plays scared. He coaches scared, in my opinion. He coaches to where you know he doesn't want to uh, take chances or think outside of the box um, for fear of retribution, and that kind of showed its face here in some of the comments that he made later. But we'll talk about that uh, in a little bit. But uh, you know, are there positives in this? Absolutely. Okay, the def the run defense, they only held the Ravens to 63 yards. Guys, the Ravens were the number one rushing team in the NFL last year. Okay, they kept Lamar Jackson pretty much at bay. I know he threw that th touchdown, you know, two of them to Devin DuVernay and then one of them to Bateman. Um, that was some miscommunication there with the safety play, but... I thought the defensive line played pretty well. I thought Quinn and Williams was getting in there in the middle, got his mid up, knocked the pass down. They could have had a touchdown. They ended up scoring just three points there. Um, I thought the linebacking core was pretty good. Quan Alexander has some speed, man. You could see him be a tackle uh, and make some some plays, where, you know, coming across the field. Quincy Williams, I thought, did a pretty good job. Safeties could have played better, but my favorite part of the entire game to me was the play of the cornerbacks. Guys, we have two solid, so and I, I shouldn't even say this off week one, but I feel like it because I watched, I watched Sauce play up against Mark Andrews. I saw Sauce play up against Bateman. I saw him make adjustments. They were not throwing to his side. This kid is a rookie. He's a rookie. Okay. And Lamar is avoiding him. What is what the hell does that tell you? Yeah. Okay. And and then when we saw DJ Reed, he caught that interception. People were clowning him like, yo, the Jets just got destroyed. Why are you celebrating out there like crazy man? Well, little did people know that coming out of the tunnel for this game. DJ Reed learned that his dad died, died on his way out into the game, son, was crying during the 9-11 the uh, uh, services, went out there, mad emotional, son, gripped a in, pointed to the sky to his pops. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I'm proud of that boy. And he played his butt off, man. So our corners, hey, I think DJ Reed potentially, uh, he's one of the best um free agent pickups that JD's made. So I was, I'm really proud of that. So those are some real high level takes from me. Yeah. And Sam, I'm going to get to you in one sec. I just wanted to say, man, especially with DJ Reed is another example where people can kind of get ahead of themselves, wanting to criticize someone. And then you end up feeling like an idiot. So maybe take a step or take a beat or take a, take some caution before sometimes you judge people because you don't know what's going on in their life. And also when it comes to those corners, Mike NFL next gen stats, DJ Reed gave up zero yards this weekend targeted five times in 29 plays he gave up zero yards and your boy sauce mike but you were just shouting out broke up a touchdown on mark andrews one of the best tight ends or not if not the best tight end in the nfl six foot five monster targeted only four times in the entire game like mike said only 19 yards on sauce so our top two corners only got targeted six times. We know the Ravens maybe don't throw the ball to the outside as much. Their offense is a little bit different, but still, that's pretty impressive there when you get to the corners. Sammy, I want to ask you a question when it comes to the way the offense looked as a whole. 59 pass attempts from Joe Flacco. He's under pressure all day. Then when you look at the rushing stats, I mean, per carry, Michael Carter looked pretty good. Brees Hall wasn't able to get going as much. It didn't seem like the, the offensive line really made that much space for them to begin with, but they kind of relied on the passing game 
maybe that was the the uh, approach they had planned before the game, knowing that last year the Ravens were last in the league in passing. They were tremendous at rushing. Why do you think it was they didn't deviate during the game when they saw the rushing game was working so well? At least on paper, it was working pretty decent. 10, 10 attempts, 61 yards for Carter. That's not that bad. As a whole, the rushing game was pretty decent. Why do you think they didn't pivot there during the game? They just kept slinging it. You know, it, it really didn't make much sense to me. We talked about it while the game was going on. I thought the line run blocking wise actually did create a decent amount of space, especially when Michael Carter was in the game. He just looked like the better running back on Sunday, to be honest. Uh, and I think that second year um, now being in the offense, he just looks more comfortable and more sure about what holes he wants to hit and where he wants to go with the football. Um, in terms of the adjustment, I, I'm not sure. Uh, you know you have Joe Flacco, who I like the word you use, statuesque, because he looked like a statue. Like he didn't move. He just got the ball and kind of stood there. Um, and when you have a team like the Ravens that you need to kind of wear down and just sort of stay in that game because you have, you know, Zach Wilson's not in. You're a little bit banged up. Um, you have to rely on your run game to generate yards, keep your offense on the field, try to keep Lamar Jackson off the field. Um so I'm not entirely sure what they were thinking. I wasn't happy with the play calling in general. We didn't take enough shots downfield. We didn't open up the offense. The Ravens basically were able to put seven, eight guys in the box and we had to throw. Um, they took away the one thing we were good at. And we know um, as coaches, if you're a one-dimensional football team, you're going to lose every single football game. Yeah. And that's basically what we became on Sunday. And just quickly, defensively, I want to give a shout out to, I was kind of disappointed in Lawson, but Johnson and Clemens looked awesome. Um, and so did Quincy Williams. They were kind of all over the field. Um, and we talked about the defensive ends needing a big day, and I thought they had a huge day. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I agree. When, when we talk about the lack of mobility, too, with Flacco guys, one other thing to mention is it's not like you need the mobility just to obviously to avoid sacks. It's very helpful. But also just enough mobility to maneuver yourself away from a rush on one side and into a passing lane, which it seems like he can't even do that. And I know you guys that Sammy can explain that. And I know you guys that played football know what I mean. It's like, you don't even need to be the most mobile. No. Right. You, you just need to be nimble enough to yeah. avoid this pressure coming from the right. You take two steps to the left, one step forward. Right. You do it all on a move. And that's just muscle memory. And but you're quick yeah. enough to get into a passing lane, actually get a ball off. We're seeing like Joe Flacco, even though he's six foot six, He's trying to throw, he's, he's getting people pushed back into him, not seeing it, not able to move with no agility, and hit all his balls, half his passes are going, you know, right over dude's head, and it looked like he had no accuracy on And Keith, you know, those drills you're doing with quarterbacks from when they start as freshmen in high school. You yeah. put a circle of cones, and you're like, climb, drop, slide. Yeah. Like, those are drills that he's probably been doing for 30 years. Yeah, you know, so like you said, it doesn't require that much mobility. I tell you what, if he ever makes it to the Hall of Fame, that's going to be the the, the most simplest bus for that guy to make ever. What, the Joe Flacco bus. <laughs> the Joe Flacco bus. Yeah. Not going to have to do much. Yeah, just the more, one of the more generic looking white humans on the earth, Joe Flacco. And he uh, doesn't move at all. Yeah, I don't think you have to worry about him getting can anytime soon, though. Joe Flacco. He's not a. Uh, he's not the second half of his career now is not can esque, at least to me. But let's touch <laughs> on. We're going to get into some of the the good takeaways from the game. Um, a few other things I want to mention when it comes to the things we're not excited about, we're going to get into in a sec. But just real quick, before we get back to the game, Mike, our coach, Robert Salah, this week, uh, after post-game, and then, then he clarified himself again today, actually, had some comments in regards to people who have been clowning the Jets, which I respect it. I mean, I remember when Rex Ryan was here, Mike, 
and he was talking about we're not the same old Jets, right? In a lot of ways, he was able to change the the culture of the team and the image of the team for a short amount of time. I think Robert Sala is trying to do the same thing. You want to hear that he has confidence in the team. I get it. But saying I'm keeping the receipts and going about it that way, like you're almost tipping your hand that that type of stuff's getting to you. I don't know if that's the best approach. I don't know if the best approach is to say before Joe Douglas came here, the Jets were basically an expansion team level uh, level roster. Like some of those things necessarily aren't accurate, but they also not the best look to clown your own team before your regime got there, right? I mean, that's interesting. But what, what were your takeaways, Mike, from um, some of the comments from the coach this week? He seemed a little bit, he seemed a little tight when it came to anybody talking smack about gangrene. So... I don't know how people are going to take my opinion and look, I'm just going to just speak for myself um, here. Um, I've been very uh, optimistic that we finally hired a, a really good leader in the locker room and a really good leader for this organization. And he came neck last year to the New York Jets. We went, we won four games. He only won one road game that was in Houston. Um, and there were a lot of, you know, positive uh, takeaways saying, you know, we've got the right leaders in the locker room. We're, you know, we're putting the effort in. We're, we're trying our best. A lot of cliches that were made. Okay. But there were watching the games, not that many positives that you took away from a coaching perspective. There was not that many adjustments that you would see uh, in game. You know, he would essentially see a loss and say, Hey, we'll look at the tape and then we'll make some adjustments. And so you go into this into this year saying, okay, this was a first year head coach. I hope that he's learned his lesson. I hope that he will be able to uh, be more transactional with being able to adjust, make in-game adjustments and actually put the right people in, make the right calls. And so in the offseason, when some of these moves were made, like keeping Joe Flacco as the backup quarterback, you know, you could put that on Joe Douglas, but you also have to look at Robert Sala because this is your team. So these are the players that you are picking and believing in. I personally was not a fan of keeping Joe Flacco as a backup quarterback. I wanted them to go get Mitchell Trubisky or somebody else. I think you guys remember, but no. Yeah. They decided to go with Joe Flacco. And then he doubles down and says, oh, Joe Flacco is going to be is a starting quarterback in this league. Um, he's 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 communicating about Makai Becton and the injury and not understanding the facts. You know, um, Zach Wilson goes down and he makes uh, uh, just completely buffs, rebuffs everything. Essentially, oh, it's a two to four week injury. And oh, my God, he's out till Pittsburgh. Like. This man, and then he has the audacity after getting trounced in the first game of this season and starts picking a fight with the media, saying, like, I'm going to keep receipts of anybody who's, you know, who the, yo, we're New Yorkers, bro. We're not from San Francisco or Detroit, bro. We see right through that bullshit. No offense. And your cliche whackness. Like, you are bothering me right now. Like, I need you to deliver results and when you start talking about expansion teams how about the damn bears they're scrubs nothing took out san francisco you telling me uh meverflus or whatever the hell his name is is better than you has a better roster than you and you coming up in here with all gas no break and all this bs 
We see right through that bullshit, man. New Yorkers don't play around with that. Like, yo, now you got a target on your back, bro. You got a target on your back. You just you just made made war with the fan base, and now you're gonna have to have some results because you're gonna go up against the Browns. They don't have Deshaun Watson. Okay, you gotta win, and you have to make the calls. You have to make uh, the out of the box changes. Okay, like having um, your offensive scheme with the all those tight ends going in there in the beginning i think it was 13 men in the box and it wasn't working and then you went over to receivers and then it didn't work when the running game we all saw we all saw the running game working why did you move away from that like this these are the things as as, as jeff fans were watching the game like yo what are you doing and he's like oh i gotta go look at the tape motherfucker we don't pay you to go look at the tape make the damn calls in the middle of the game sorry for my language this guy, I'm not saying I'm throwing him away. I'm not saying that. But this this really bothers me. Okay? This bothers me. And I better see changes. Because I'm not I'm not dealing with I, I dealt with Gase. I dealt with all the things that you and I as Jeff fans dealt with. And this guy, it feels like he is not in line with the way things need to be here. Bill Parcells knew what to do here. And he got results immediate. Talk about an expansion team. Go back to 1996 with Neil O'Donnell. Okay, that team won one game. It was against the Cardinals in week seven. I remember. Dude turned it around nine and seven immediate. Went to the 11 and five to the AFC Championship two years later. Don't talk to me about expansion teams. I'll get off. No, I mean, I got to say, Mike, um, I didn't know we we're going to go down this road with this, but. That team did look like in the second half at a certain point on they just didn't know what they were doing or they just gave up, you know, and they did get out coached. And when it comes to the in-game adjustments, uh, Joe Flacco took almost 60 passes to throw for 300 yards. You're averaging about five yards an attempt there, right? The passing game wasn't working. Offensive line was putrid. I get it. But it seemed like a game <laughs> that if you could run the ball and control the clock and you see the run game is working, then whatever the plan is before the game, you adjust. It seems like that would be the best way to attack a team like this, right? That you're expecting their offense to light us up. When on the flip side, the first half there, they're getting the punt left and right. You know, and I do agree with some of what Mike said there when it comes to Salah kind of going after the media or people I'm keeping receipts and all this type of stuff, man. It's like, dude, your record's 4-14 four and 14 since you got here. You've coached 18 games. You've won four of them. You're not necessarily in a position to be putting the media on blast. Or to be saying anything about how the Jets were basically an expansion team before Joe Douglas here, because not for nothing. We all love Joe Douglas. We all love this draft this year. Um, Joe Douglas' record since he got here is horrible as the GM. I mean, um, his overall record since he got here, what, it was 7-9 and nine his first year? Then what, 2-14? and 14? Then 4-13 and 13 last year. That 7-9 and nine team was all players Mike McCagnan drafted in signing free agency. If we're just going to keep it real, guys. So if you want to talk smack, you got to do your research there, Salah, because the only positive record that Joe Douglas had was the team that he didn't even put together. You know, and I'm not trying to put Joe Douglas on blast here, but let's just be real about it, you know. Um, I thought that was an interesting take by him. And when we're getting back to this game, Mike, I mean, you even made some good points in, in, in what you said there, which was, you know, it seemed like what we were doing wasn't working and we just continued to try to do the same stuff. Um, when it comes to some of the, the negative parts of this week, and just the, the game in itself, I think the offensive line was kind of a glaring one. Dwayne Brown, also one of the comments from Salah this week, guys, 
that's not great is uh he said that he's hoping he'll be back this year that's what Salah said this week um that went real south real quick and ir stint for three or four weeks fine hoping he'll be back this year i mean that's rough like we said three slacks on flacco hit 11 times 19 qb pressures you have to think with zach in there with his mobility maybe it wouldn't have been as bad but who knows guys i mean i think the offensive line was kind of one of the the biggest negatives of the game. Um, Flacco, obviously, his lack of mobility, I have written down as one of the negatives. The, sa- the play of the safeties. Uh, Sammy was pointing this out when we were at the game, and LaMarcus Turner and Whitehead in coverage back there got blown a few times. It's hard to tell which one of them blew it on the Bateman touchdown because they were both in the vicinity of the ball, but um, really horrible play there. Both are kickers, guys. Greg DeLeg misses a field goal, Mike. He misses an extra point. You know, we cut Eddie Pinero. Who knows what's going to happen with him? Um... And ball control. I mean, this is my other negative I took away from the game. And Mike was alluding to this with Coach Salah. Not a great week to go after the media. When not only with some of the lack of aggressiveness, it's fourth down, you know, in the first half, a team that's won four games last year, you don't go for it. You go for a field goal. I mean, I get it, but you're playing a team that's your favorite to lose to, home opener. You got to go for it right there. Um, A lot of coaching decisions that I thought were interesting, but also sometimes lack of focusing on on fundamentals when it comes to coaches and Sammy could speak to this will show up on the field the Jets had four drops in the game okay a couple of them were killer they turned the ball over twice as we know I mean horrible fumble by Conklin Brees Hall the longest drive we had of the day in the second half there fumbles the ball that's pretty much game over we score a touchdown there 24 to 10 at least you have a shot you know with a lot of time left to scoring towards the end of the game so um there was a lot here I think when it comes to Salah to pick at and I don't know if a home opener loss like that when you get spanked and your team looks really lackluster in the second half let me ask you Sammy does it seem like after that after the way the team played some of the ball control issues they had some of the lack of concentration they had the way the offensive line played so many other issues not the best time really to be taking shots at the media no absolutely not and I think that we're missing one key component to this whole thing when are we gonna get on the force case because it seems to me like Salah's got a big say and piece in what the defense does. Because they looked super prepared Sunday, right? Like really well coached. They knew what they were supposed to be doing with the exception of Whitehead and not getting depth, right? And like during cover 20, your only job is no one gets behind you. And they did it three times, right? Um, but like the floor's play calling has been terrible. The offensive execution hasn't been great. We're not putting guys in good positions. None of the plays are creative. Michael Carter shines in the pass and the run, and we're not putting that guy in space. We're not running screens to get some pressure off Joe Flacco, right? We've got these guys in these pieces for those exact reasons. We have guys like Eli Moore who can run jets. We have Barrios and Moore who can literally do anything we need offensively. We can put guys, we have seven tight ends now, right? And like Mike said, we went into that jumbo package, that like double wing single receiver and where was Garrett Wilson the whole game because when he was in he looked fantastic and he barely played right so like I'm I'm more concerned not only with Salah and his sort of like you at some point need to go to the floor and talk to that man and even during the game coach the run game is working stop passing it right because you're the head coach that's your job um so there's a lot of problems I have with a lot of the adjustments, but I think a lot of it comes down to, like for me, I'm an offensive coach. That's my role on my team. Uh, a lot of that comes down to like Mike LaFour. Like you as the head coach are responsible for your coaches now. And it seems to me like LaFour is not doing a great job two years in a row now. 
And and there's really no excuse this year because we have so much talent that even with Joe Flacco in, we should still be serviceable and able to score points. <clears throat> That's a fair point, man. I don't I don't know if enough spotlight has been put on the floor here when it comes to the play calling, when it comes to trying to at least figure out a way with what you have to get the most out of them. I mean, 59 passes last week. Who am I to say if that's the only options they had? But when the running game seems like it's working and when you want to kind of control the clock, I don't know, it just seems like not the best approach. I got put in a lot of second and longs. I get that. But um, I don't know. That's something to look at, too, with the floor here. I do know that if this continues at the pace it's going, if they continue to look lackluster and, you know, not have it together on the offensive side of the ball, they were decent enough on defense, as we know. But if this continues for this year, I mean, the floor is not going to be around next year. You don't have to worry about that one, guys. Well, I, I would not. I wouldn't just say that. I mean, if they go zero and four, zero five, this is going to get ugly real quick. And the Jet fans are ready to turn on Salah and that entire regime. They're ready. I can tell you right now on Twitter, their cats did not take his comments well. Or that's true. You know, they're they're kind of sick and tired of the BS. So. Anyone I talk to, any Jet fans I talk to, didn't like. I I know, like Mike, I was saying before how. For some reason, the way Rex went at it seemed authentic. Like he meant, right? Yeah, we ain't gonna, we ain't gonna be the same old Jets, right? And you're like, you're like, hell yeah, right? He didn't, Mike. He didn't do it reactionary to being insulted or being looked down upon exactly. after a game. He was doing it, but before the season started, the whole way through, that was kind of his mantra. It seems like with Salami, I don't know any Jet fans that really took his comments and thought they were they were good look or a positive. It just seemed like someone who was a little pissed. And he said after the fact, I was emotional, this and that. I totally understand that. No, and, and the one thing, can I just say one thing, though, Keith? Yeah. The one thing that I can say that's positive is I feel like, authentically, the players think that Salah has their back. Yes. He went yes, to I bat agree. for them. I do believe that that locker room believes in him. Yeah. So I'm just, this is more media fans like, yo, you just put your cards on the table. Yeah, yeah. So now no, get, get your all gas, no break bullshit ready to go. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, you got to deliver now. You got but also, to. You know what? If you're the all gas, no break coach, and it's the home opener, and you're a big time underdog, and your your defense in the first half, can we just say the defense was playing amazing? It was. Place. It was. Like, I know I, they, I, yeah. they gave up a touchdown at the end of the half, guys. The way the Ravens started the game off, I got it written down right here, was punt, punt, field goal, punt, punt. Then they scored a touchdown. Their seventh and eighth possession also punched. They punted six of the first eight times they had the ball. The Ravens. That's, I mean, yeah. and yo, if you think about it, and we kept getting the ball and doing nothing and just putting these dudes back out on the field. And you're saying to yourself, me and Sam are sitting there, I'm like, damn, the defense is playing. The defense is getting them off the field, right? And we're running the ball well. I mean, this seems like a pretty good combination. You know, when your yeah. defense is playing good and you can run the ball, Right? And I'm not saying they were, you know, lights out, but 10 for 61 for Carter. I think Hall had almost 40. He only had six carries. So you're talking about 80-something yards off what's off um, 16, 17 carries. Right. That's pretty good. That's actually not that bad. I mean, I, I don't know, guys. It's But some of the good things to take away. Let's 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 talk about some of the good things from the game because we've mentioned some of them already. Let's just get into the top one for me to play the rookies. So Mike said it before. Max Mitchell was not the worst offensive line on the field. That was Tomlinson by far, I think, in the game, Mike. Um, you mentioned it. And also, Font did not play well at left tackle. Max Mitchell didn't play that great either. On some of those run plays, especially, he didn't look good um, when I went back and watched the game on DVR this week. But on pass protection, he looked pretty decent considering, you know, the competition he was going up against. But you get to the other rookies, Clemens played well. He had two tackles. You saw him out there making plays. Okay, you saw Garrett Wilson. We haven't oh. gotten to this yet. Garrett Wilson, you can just see 
is going to be a baller. Yeah, he is. We said it in the preseason when I was when I saw Mike White make some bad passes to him. The preseason game Sammy and I went to, and he readjusted, made the catch, still got a few yards. That's the sign of a tremendous receiver. And then you saw this weekend that play when he went left, right, juke the guy, almost got a first down. The whole stadium's going crazy, right? And real quick, people don't know his number just yet. After that play, everybody knows. Yeah. Everybody knows. Everybody <laughs> knows Garrett Wilson now, right? Um, he looked great, guys. I think the rookie, and then of course Sauce, like we said, big pass breakup. Okay, for Sauce, I thought he played really well. I thought the rookies, um, in totality, and then even um Johnson had a half sack. You know, and it was, it was a play when I was saying to Sammy, I was like, I don't know how often they're going to be playing this kid because it didn't seem like in the preseason he was getting out there with the ones very much. Look, he goes ahead and gets a sack in his first game. So, I mean, the rookies played well, guys. Um, That's one positive. Like we said, the corners told you about those next-gen stats. The safety didn't play that great. The corners, though, we might have a one-two here. Mike talked about DJ Reed. His pops passed away before the game. This dude went out during National Anthem, right? Got emotional about it, sucked it up, and then gave up zero yards in the game. Interception. So say whatever you want about him being excited towards the end of the game, but he didn't just play well in garbage time. He played well all four quarters the entire day. DJ Reed. Sauce is a rookie. It was his first game in the NFL. 19 yards he gave up. You would have th- thought they would target him all day long. That didn't work out that well for them when it comes to that. And I thought also on the D-line. You know, I didn't. I'm not that they generated, not that they got that many sacks, but they did generate pressures. You know, it seemed like the running lanes weren't there. For the Ravens, who have a pretty decent outside of even Lamar, usually have a pretty decent running attack. They have a pretty decent offensive line. Um, that's another sign. I mean, the defense as a whole, I guess, I guess most of the positives when you look at it, guys, really are the defense. And going into Cleveland next week, and we're gonna get into that in a moment. Um, you know, there is some positives from this game to carry over into next game to think we could take a W. And one of the reasons is when you look at how the Browns played last week. Now they squeaked the W out versus the Panthers, guys. 26-24. They almost blew it in the second half. But pretty much the whole offense went through Nick Chubb last week. He had, tw- I think he had, let's see what it is. There was 22 carries, 144 yards for Chubb. We know Chubb is a beast. One rushing touchdown for Hunt, a receiving touchdown for Hunt also. But Jacoby Brissett, he was 18 for 34. Jacoby, Mike, as Mike likes to say, he's dumpster juice. Jacoby Brissett, he's not, he's not a great quarterback. And our defense showed last week they're pretty confident. I mean, that could potentially be the strength of the team this year is this defense. We were hoping that would be the case. Safety's got to step it up. Juan Alexander played good. Mosley, we didn't even talk about at 12 tackles. He played well also. I think this defense next week, and we're going to talk about this Brown game um, right now, guys. I think the defense can can really keep, you know, the Browns out of the end zone. Keep them. They're not, gonna, they're not the Ravens here, right? They don't have Watson back there at quarterback. I know they have People Jones was their leading receiver last week. I know they have Cooper too. But I'm not that scared of the Browns heading into this game. Where I don't think with a few adjustments here, they go look at the tape. Maybe they run the ball a little bit more last week. If it's Carter, if it's Brees Hall, Jet fans don't care. Whatever's working, they got to go with that. You have to adjust during the game. If they go out this weekend and they can't run the ball, but Barrios or one of our tight ends or somebody's wide open over the middle all day because they're shutting down the they're shutting down our wide receiver wide, throw it over the middle all day. Whatever it is you have to do to get these first downs and move the change, you have to do. Because it seems like Salah has been very rigid and Mike alluded to this with the game plans. <laughs> and as the game's gone on, you don't see the Jets do too much different from the first half to the second half. You know, a lot, right. of, not a lot of changes from the first half to the second half. The approach is the same, even if it's not working. You know, and then the things that do seem like they're working, we don't tend to shift to them. Like, if you can run the ball and, and, and you see that on a team you didn't anticipate you'd be able to run it on, number one rushing defense in the league last year, the Ravens. 
But for some reason, Michael Carter was tearing them up. You know, some reason in the passing game, what Michael Carter, I think had five or six catches. I mean, the dude should have just been the featured player of the game. I don't care if they drafted Brees Hall. I don't care about no one else. That should have been the way they went in this game. But when so, you, when you co- go ahead, Mike. Let me let me ask, uh, you know, you're talking about the running game. Browns, tremendous running game. Nick, let me ask you this, Nick. Nick Chubb, 141 yards rushing last week. He was the best running back last week in week one or what? Uh, I don't know if he's the best running back in week in week one. Why not? But but he's up there. I mean, because there was who, who I mean, was better than who was better than Nick Chubb at running back? Did Saquon have 146 yards? <laughs> there it is. <laughs> That's only five yards more. But no, I'm not trying to discredit what Chubb did. I mean, that backfield when they're humming. Uh, that's as a dynamic backfield as you're going to find in the NFL. You got Chubb that just seems to rush for 100 yards regardless. Like, you could pretty much bank on him getting 100. Touchdowns, I don't know, but that's why you have Hunt. He had, like, as Keith had mentioned, receiving touchdown, rushing touchdown. But I, I still think that the defense for the Jets played so well last week when I was watching, especially the first half of the game. I mean, I can't see why that they can't keep you guys in that game. At, at you know the whole time and, and actually make plays against that Cleveland offense. Yeah, you know what else, guys? I mean, last week the Panthers they were just they shot themselves in the foot. They had a hundred yards and penalties in that game. Yeah, to give the game to the Browns. I'm not saying the Browns weren't the better team, but a hundred yards, eight penalties that's going to kill you. Browns had one interception in the game. They had four sacks. We know Miles Garrett. Thinking of Miles Garrett lining up to go after Joe Flacco. I mean, that's that's not great. That's not a great situation. Not optimal. You know what I'm saying? That's not something I'm excited about. That's like the worst case scenario. And when you think Font today was, um, he did not practice. Jonathan Franklin Myers didn't practice. Whitehead didn't practice either. I know Barrios was limited today. So that's pretty much the only injuries we have to worry about. But I mean, it's not like, the, it's not like Cleveland's defense just has beasts all over the place. Miles Garrett's pretty much the best player on defense. Denzel Ward there in the secondary is absolutely tremendous as well. They have a shutdown corner. But we have a we don't have a true number one receiver right now anyway that he's out there going to shut down right we kind of don't even know really who our number one receiver is yet because like like oh usual Corey Davis with a gigantic drop last week on third down I mean we can expect those Corey Davis is not the guy um I think it's going to be Garrett Wilson or be Elijah Moore um I mean Mike we haven't talked about predictions for this game but I do think it's going to be an ugly game I don't think it's going to be a high scoring game the Browns are trying to go two and zero. Oh. For the first time since 1993. Guys, that's that is a wild stat to think about. 1993 was the last time the Cleveland Browns were 2-0. I think Bill Belichick was their coach. Could be wrong on that, but I'm almost positive that he was the coach back then. On um, the game last week, the Browns basically just ran the ball all day long. They had the ball 38 minutes of the game, which is absolutely insane, guys. They ran 74 plays. I mean, that's absurd amount of plays. So that you know what they're going to try to do to you. They're going to do what they've been doing when Baker's there the last two years. And until Deshaun Watson's there slinging it, they're going to keep doing it, which is they have Nick Chubb. Barkley had a tremendous week last week, but Nick Chubb's been doing it for a couple years in a row on a weekly basis. You hand him the ball, you give him the rock 20 times, he's going to get you 120 yards, Nick Chubb. Um, He's been pretty consistent. So I don't know, man. It seemed like we went against the number one rushing team in the NFL from last year week one i think the browns are third or fourth right they have a more conventional running attack 
So I'm interested to see how, how we do against this team this week. Mike, let's get into some predictions here when it comes to this Brown game. We have not talked about this game at all. I don't know what you think even remotely about this game. We haven't talked about it one bit. Browns, Jets, this weekend on the road. What do you think? How do you think it's going to shake out, Mike? Um, I think that we're going to win because if we don't, we're going to go to a darker place than I think we've ever gone, even darker than... <laughs> than Oh, is it darker than Gase level? Mm, not maybe not as dark as that, but it'll be bad. That was dark. It'll be it'll be dark, and I just think the Jets won't. I don't think we're gonna go there. So I think we're gonna win. Like you said, they haven't gone two and zero since nineteen ninety three. They are the Browns, and um, I think the defense is good enough to hold Chubb. I don't. I think Jacoby Brissett is a scrub. I mean, we know that. Amari Cooper doesn't scare us. Yep. And I think that if the offense isn't doing what it's got to do, Flacco's going to be on a short lease. They'll bring in Mike White, and uh, I think we could just run, run, and just control the clock. Um, I'm expecting the Jets to win this game. Sammy, what do you think? I haven't spoken to you about this game either, and then we'll get to the Wookiees prediction. You think the Jets are going to go into Cleveland this weekend, four-and-a-half-point underdogs to the Browns, and take a W, or think you going to lose this one? You know, I, I, I'm with Mike. Like, we kind of have to take this W. Um, but if Joe Flacco's in, I don't really see us doing that. I don't think he gives us the best chance to win. Um, I don't. I think if they don't address the offense at all, we're taking this L, and we're doing it pretty hard, and it's going to be really embarrassing. Um, I think Mike White gives us the better chance to win. He's younger and more agile, and I don't care what you say about him being the veteran. I don't think that matters at all. I think you put the young kid out with all the young kids and let him run around and play some football, and you win. Um, so that's what I'd like to see. Uh, but look, I think it'll be an ugly, close game with the Jets winning. All right, so when you say he, the best chance to win, you think Mike White would give them a better chance than Joe Flacco at this point? Yeah, 100%. Based on what I saw from Joe Flacco last week, I don't think he offers anything. Um, he, he can't throw the deep ball at all. He barely makes the accurate throws 15 yards and underneath. Um, I, I just don't see him getting us to any sort of productive place with these younger dudes who kind of need – even if you're throw, even if you're throwing it 60 yards and it's overthrown or underthrown or out of bounds, at least you're letting these guys play in the offense as opposed to limiting it because you have a 70-year-old quarterback who can't move back there. Yeah. What do you think, Wookie? Joe Flacco is going to be at the helm. I know you said you know, the defense could step it up. I think you kind of maybe gave your prediction a little earlier, but it seems like you think the Jets could go in there and take a W this weekend. I absolutely do. The defense plays like they did. Flacco doesn't have to be amazing. He just has to be obviously better than he was that game. Um, the offensive guys, Hall, Carter, the running backs look solid. I don't know why they didn't continue to run. I know when you get down, you change the you know how you're going to go about the rest of the game. But I um, I could definitely see the Jets win this game 17-10, 17-14. Yeah, that's, you know, Wookie, the over and under for this week in Vegas is 40 points. So you're pretty spot on there with your point prediction, man. I think Vegas is basically thinking it's going to be, you know, a 23-17 game or something like that also. You know, I heard a pundit today on New York Radio, and I won't mention them, but just assume, I don't know why they would assume this, that Jacoby Brissett is scrambling quarterback also when he presents some of the same issues that Deshaun Watson. Jacoby Brissett has rushed the ball 180 times his entire career. He's been around for about six or seven years. 3.6 yards a cliff. This guy's not running the ball. You know, this guy had 70 total yards rushing when he was the quarterback on Miami a couple years ago. I mean, he's not running the ball. He's just going to sit in the pocket 
and try to do his thing. Now, I'm not saying he's the worst quarterback on earth. I don't know if he's a full scrub, like Mike said, but if he's not a scrub, he's pretty damn close to a scrub, right? And I think our corners, guys, the way they played last week, I don't think Cooper and Peoples-Jones and anyone else they have, um, the rookie David Bell didn't too, too much last week, but if they try to if they try to feature him, I don't think any of them are going to do anything. I think the reason that the Ravens are able to hit you over the middle with those passes, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, Sammy, but if you're worried about Lamar Jackson scrambling all day long, safeties are cheating, linebackers, everybody's focused on this guy. And it seems like for since he's coming to the league, I mean, play action for them is just where they're, they're moneymaker. And they nail you on that, whether it's a receiver, whether it's a tight end. Um, they tend to get guys in single coverage because of that threat, that rushing threat. You don't have that with Jacoby Brissett. The rushing threats, they're running backs. Okay, guys? So like my boys all just said, I think the Jets are going to Cleveland and taking this W with Joe Flacco in there. Okay, guys? I don't think they're going to be able to generate the same type of pressure on Joe Flacco that the Ravens did. Okay, and I think our defense is going to be able to hold them in check. I don't see them putting points up like the Ravens either. They don't have that type of offense. They're, they're not a team since they run the ball so much that's going to score in quick chunks anyway. Cleveland Browns, right? So I think it's going to be a dogfight, but I do think we're going to walk out of there with the W. Last week, I thought the Jets would lose a close one 2014-2017. Ended up being 24-9. Wasn't that close in the second half. You know, the defense played pretty well. But this week, I think it's the opposite, man. I think we go into Cleveland. We're going to score a couple touchdowns. We're going to knock a couple field goals in. I could easily see a 23-14 win. One and one going into week three, guys. Are we all feeling that? Are we in agreement here? We're in yeah. agreement here, boys. I think so. W? I oh, know absolutely. We're not, we're not feeling scares, great. Scares. They better. We're no they one's better. feeling great coming off week one, but man, the the Browns without Deshaun Watson in there and Jacoby Brissett, I feel okay about that. Now, they're probably looking at the Jets if you're a Browns fan, and you're like, man, we're about to whoop the Jets, right? That's what they're thinking on their end, right? But I think the Jets are going to show up and um, surprise a lot of people. Four and a half point underdogs in Vegas, man. That's a little bit surprising to me, but. We're Real, real quick take, real quick question for all of you. Uh, Sammy, biggest takeaway from week one overall? Uh, biggest takeaway is Garrett Wilson and Eli Moore need to be the starting one and two receivers, period, end of story. No, I, and I really meant in the NFL. What was your oh, take, biggest takeaway NFL. in the entire league? What happened to Geno Smith? <laughs> I knew so. <laughs> what happened? Is he now Tom Brady? He just sat behind Russell Wilson for a couple years, and he's like out there. What did he finish the first half 14 of 15 with two touchdowns? What is that? What happened? On what happened? Oh my goodness. He got punched broken. in the mouth. He became a legend. Football's broken, dude. The whole oh, I love it. What about you, Nick? What about you, Nick? What's your biggest takeaway in the season? In the game biggest one? takeaway this year so far is that football is back and everything is buzzing as every year. But um, I know it's a Jets podcast, but um, pretty happy with Dayball going for two in the Giants right there. But right. Uh, no, I'm just happy to have football back and be able to talk about anything uh, football related, honestly. So that's the big takeaway for me. Uh, season getting going. Excellent. What about you, Keith? You know what, Mike? There's a lot of stuff to take away from week one. You go back to the Bills going ahead and whooping up on the Rams, making a statement there. The Patriots looking like trash week one. That was tremendous. LaShawn McCoy, if you guys want to read something or hear something funny, go hear what he had to say about Bill Belichick this week, guys. Whoa! Now, he just repeated what we said here on AEBG a million times, how he's a garbage, below-average coach without Tom Brady, which is a fact. That was tremendous. Mike, a lot to take away. My biggest takeaway, though, just from a very petty, 
personal sense was the fact that the worst trade in the history of Seattle Seahawks football is the gift that just keeps on giving. And I, like we said, we I would never wish injuries on Jamal. Okay, I know you went out here, you were emotionally hurt when you were losing on the Jets and your team got a win week one, surprisingly. So kudos to you, kudos to your team. But Jamal Adams injured again. Injured again in Seattle. You just got paid. I mean, did we not see this one coming, world? Um, that is just the never-ending gift that keeps on giving. Like I said, that trade is just tremendous, guys. Continues to work out for us in a million ways. Had no contributions to the game. When asked about the injury after the game, Pete Carroll's like, yeah, he's hurt. I don't even want to talk about it. He's had it with the dude. Who knows if he's even going to be on that team next year. He could easily be cut, Jamal Adams. So I don't want to see the end of your career, but the, the dominoes have begun to fall on the 30 for 30, which will be on Jamal Adams and how he worked his way out of New York and then became a scrub. And that's it. That's he's tremendous. Like that That is tremendous. I, that rivals a couple. Of, I didn't even think you were going to go there when you said that. Um, my, uh, you know, there's stories like Trey Lance, who's a scrub. It looks like he is a real, for real scrub. Man, that is, ter that's terrible. Mike, Mike, uh, players, um, players from the other team. Who did the 49ers play again, Ramey? I'm sorry. They play the Bears. Bears. Okay. Yep. Remember now, there's players from the Bears that basically said he's a scrub after the game. <laughs> I mean, Mike, don't, I'm not putting, it's not just Mike, it's not just Mike. ESPN 30 for 30. You can go. You don't want no scrubs. And I forget so who it because me like, and Mike have been torturing our friends who are Trey Lance supporters with these links. Forget the player off the top of my head. Who was like, yeah, we just made him play quarterback. He's a scrub. Son, so, he's we'll a scrub. I think he really is, though. Like, because I, I rewatched because I was like, wait, what happened? I looked at him like, oh, my goodness. Then the other part is Josh McDaniels. I mean, it's mm. a continuation from Denver. The Raiders are not making the playoffs. And I thought that was the case. I thought that was the case. And then I watched the Raiders and I said, my goodness, Josh McDaniels. Whew! Think of it. There's so many stories. But to me, the number one story for me, for me, the Chiefs are the best team in the NFL, period. You could see it. Yeah, and don't fucking oh man, my language. I get so I said because Josh Allen gets my blood going. Mm -hmm. I don't ever want to hear again that Josh Allen is the best quarterback in the National Football League. He is not. He is not even close. He is not on the level of Patrick Mahomes. Not even on the not even in the same stratosphere. Get that garbage out of my face. Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL. And the, and the Chiefs, honestly, with Tyreek Hill gone, I mean, they could be Oof. like a mutant octopus just throwing tees everywhere, all Mocked over the place. Those. I mean, they have weapons. Every, did you see how dynamic that offense was? I mean, yeah. it was, no, it was really crazy, scary. Mike, you're right. Yes, you know like, that's like, my biggest takeaway you know from when this you build, You know when you build your squad at Madden, like, it's dope to have the receiver, your wide receiver one who's like a 98. That's great. But then if you're wide receiver two and three are both like a 70, you're like, I don't really have a lot of options. The Chiefs basically have like three dudes that are like an 85 or an 80. You know, they have like all these guys now that are decent where it doesn't seem like Mahomes has to focus on any one player. And there's a lot of talk is Mahomes going to be as good without Tyree Kill. And Mike and I, and other people have talked about his stats without Tyree Kill are the same with or without. I'm not, obviously Tyree Kill is a tremendous weapon. You'd rather have him than not have him. But it doesn't seem like it really affects Mahomes. If you look at the skill position players on the Bills, 
and you look at the ones on the Chiefs, they're not comparable. The Bills blow them out of the water. Guys, can, on I, paper. can, I, can I say something about Josh Allen real quick? Josh Allen is just Mitch Trubisky on a better football team. And I got, hold on, Jet Nation. Whoa, I got whoa, stats whoa. to back this shit up. Now, well, career-wise, hold on, hold on. Wait a career-wise, minute. passing yards, Josh Allen's got 400 more yards. Completion percentage, Mitchell Trubisky 63.9, Josh Allen 62.6. Interceptions thrown, Trubisky 38, Josh Allen 48. Interception percentage, 2.3 for Trubisky, 2.4. Josh Allen has 11 game-winning drives. Trubisky has seven. Josh Allen, 7.1 pass yards per attempt. Trubisky, 6.7. What's the yards? How many yards per attempt and how many touchdowns? See, so, that's where that's where he yeah, blows him away. Here's the thing also is a lot of Josh Allen's really bad statistics are front-loaded his first two years. Yep. This is it, their it, whole career. This is their whole I know. That's what I'm saying. So, I mean, you yeah. clip off Josh Allen's last three years – and you just look at what you can't do. I know you're talking about his entire career. If you clip off his last three years when he's been basically an MVP candidate, Mitch Trubisky is not holding a candle to that no. at any point, any point of his career no. or running the ball. I think one of the reasons um, I know what Sammy is alluding to in the pocket, Allen might be a little bit overrated. And I think, but Allen right. has, what Allen has going for him, Sammy, that Trubisky doesn't, and a lot of quarterbacks don't, besides maybe a Lamar Jackson or a Kyler Murray, is you're so worried about him running the ball. Right. That it opens up all these other opportunities. Oh, no, I'm not. I, I'm not even counting the rushing part. I'm just talking yeah. as a pocket passer. If you take away his ability, which you can't do either, right? His running ability, obviously, because he's got probably 1,500. It's his athleticism that makes him right. great. That's exactly. it. That exactly. is the thing that makes separates him. And, and the, I, you could see it because every time it, there's a option where someone's not open, he just takes off. And that's no, he's he a huge human being yeah. playing that position too. Like that's Cam Newton right there, almost. You yes. know what I mean? Like yes. Cam in his prime. I don't know if he's as athletic, but that's the body type of Cam in his prime. Like yeah. that guy gets moving. He's like linebackers are making business decisions at that point. That's true. And you know what? I mean, not a lot of quarterbacks. To Sammy's point, he had thirty-six or thirty-seven passing touchdowns last year, something like that. But not a lot of QBs had more ints. He had about 15 interceptions last year, too. So, I mean, that's just something to keep an eye on when it comes to Josh Allen. We have, we have to hope that – I mean, there's going to be games like he had week one where he just lights teams up and the Bills just roll over teams. It's going to happen. That team's a really good team. Um, I'm interested to see when uh, the push comes to shove in the playoffs how this guy plays because he was tremendous last year in the playoffs. He came up a little bit short. He's had some, he's had some bad games in the playoffs, too. We just have to do all we can, just wish all the negativity we can on Buffalo and that entire town and hopefully lose as many games as possible. Um, I don't want to wish an injury on Josh Allen, but maybe an oblique or something just out for 10 weeks. <laughs> just um, just a little something. You know he's going to boom. Yeah, exactly. You know? Um, I'll take a high ankle sprain. Giants already got one. They already got Dak. Dak already went down, man. So, I mean, Giants already got some good fortune going in their favor here. Um, That's all we got for you, though, this week, guys. Mike, we're good, right? Yes, sir. All right, cool, man. I know it's been streaming on the bottom, but... Michael, if anyone does want to get us, oh, we wanted to say too, not exactly sure what happened last week. If you're listening right now and you are listening to us on Apple iTunes, we don't know what happened in last week's episode. It just vanished, but you can go find us on Spotify, anywhere else you find your podcast, or go, or go check us out on YouTube. I'm not sure what went on with that last week, but we should have the whole remedy for this week. And Michael, if anyone does want to get at us or support us in any way, shape, or form, how could they do that? Hey, guys, we're on Facebook at AEBG.ShitsRadio, on Twitter at AEBG underscore NYJ podcast, and on Instagram at jet.aebg. You heard the man on behalf of the biggest chef in the state of Texas, Michael Agaris, on behalf 
of the greatest tight end in the universe today, the big Wookiee Nick Kronk, on behalf of the greatest football coach in the nation, Samuel O'Hare. My name's Keith Farrell. Good afternoon next week, everybody. Peace out.